All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is another episode of Junior Resource Investing, the podcast dedicated to deepening your understanding of the junior resource sector and some important and exciting plays within it. As always, I'm your host, Matthew. Just a disclaimer here before we get going. Uh, as always, please remind, remember that this is not financial advice. Neither myself nor my guests are financial advisors. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. For the full disclaimer, please check the YouTube notes below. With that out of the way, though, let's get going to our main event here. I'm very pleased to present our latest guest, Terry Lynch, who is the CEO of Power Nickel. Power Nickel is a nickel explorer developing primarily its NISC deposit in Quebec, which contains a very recent resource estimate of about 4 million tons of about 1.25% nickel equivalent with lots of prospective land left. It trades on the TSXV in Canada under the ticker PNPM, on the OTC in the States under the ticker CMETF, and in Frankfurt under the ticker IVVI. Just as a note, there are other international listings as well. Uh, Terry, yeah, nice to talk to you again. Welcome to the show. Hey, Matthew, thanks for having us on. Perfect. Uh, usually, I, usually we start off with uh, an elevator pitch, but actually because you are kind of the, the, the spearhead between save behind Save Canadian Mining, do you mind just kind of discussing that initiative that you started for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, basically, we started Save Canadian Mining about uh, almost three years ago now, um, and it, the basic objective was that, was that we felt that the uh, predatory short sellers were uh, targeting mining companies in particular, and, and it was making it an unfair and very difficult for mining companies to finance property, and it was very, making it very difficult for ordinary investors and even pension funds and mutual funds to make money in the mining sector. So we saw that sort of a... Uh, you know, a, a, a major threat to survivability for mining in Canada. And we thought we'd try and do something about it. So we started Save Canadian Mining to bring this issue to the public and to try to pressure government to make some changes to, uh, you know, make predatory short selling illegal and uh, and to develop practices that would uh, ensure that the investment banks sort of uh, played ball and policed it and IROC uh, did its job. Uh, we're not against short selling. Uh, people say, oh, you're against short selling? I'm saying, no, if you want to take the other side of the bet on, Power Nickel or any other deal, God bless. As long as you disclose to short, that's fine. That's fair ball. Uh, the problem with predatory short selling, the way we define it is, it's it's basically when people sell the stock that you don't own, and then they don't deliver it in a timely fashion. Uh, you know, basically you're supposed to deliver stock within two days after you, you trade it, and uh, and you, you, there's a failed trade thing that can go up to ten days. But these guys keep on cycling it and never deliver, and and so what happens is. Uh, you know, basically, uh, stocks are going down on on, on volume, and invest, normal investors that bought the stock bought a story about you know why they think they're going to find more nickel in James Bay or, or whatever, and and then they see it going down and wonder, hey, what's happening? Maybe there's something I don't know. And then they, you know, that old phrase, selling begets selling. So, what what these the purpose of the predatory short selling from the the, the shorts that do this is they basically sell you know uh, at the at the top of the market drive the stock down and then look to cover at the bottom by either doing a financing with the company uh, or buying into the market. But, uh, you know, all that is has done is we, we proved it statistically when we, we did a study uh, that basically showed that uh, the not not just small cap stocks, but the overall TSX metals and mining index is down to, uh, to a third of its normal trading value. So historically, metals and mining stocks on the TSX fee uh, traded at or around commodity prices, uh, which would make sense, right? It's a commodity business. Today, we're trading at 35%. So something's broken in the system. We need to fix it. And that's what uh, the Canadian Safe Canadian Mining Initiative is all about. Perfect. So, I mean, rec in recent weeks, IROC did come out with a ban on naked shorting, correct? Did you get a, have you had a chance to take a look at that? Is yeah, it effective? We're, you know, we're actually going to be doing a Safe Canadian podcast, shameless plug here, on the September 19th on this very issue. <laughs> At, uh, so if you want to, people want to get more educated than that in depth, we'll have some guests as well. Uh, it's at noontime, September nineteenth, and they could check it out on SafeCanadianMining. dot com. Uh, generally speaking, it's always been illegal to do predatory short selling. What uh, IROC came out and did was they clarified it, and and it was an important clarification because um, you know we we had uh, you know McDonald Bench, you know uh, one of Canada's premier law firms, saying. It was illegal, uh, and and then we had Scotia Bank saying no, it wasn't. 
you know, so, so, uh, you know, obviously there was a gray area there. Uh, and, uh, uh, I believe the uh, investment banks have used that gray area to allow their, uh, offshore hedge fund clients to trade mercilessly, uh, in, in a predatory way. And, uh, you know, uh, to the great, uh, harm, uh, it's caused, uh, mining companies and mining investors. So, uh, this clarification was an important one because it clearly says, you know, uh, predatory short selling, selling when you don't have the stock or have not, uh, our, they call it a reasonable expectation of a borrow, but you know, it, it, you know, the, the reasonable is very tightly defined. I would say, uh, is clearly now illegal. And now they put the liability squarely on the investment bank's uh, hands. And that's uh, that's a first. Now, companies uh, will have to do uh, something to bring this to the table. Now, we, it's on, I think, the back of companies to show evidence uh, of the illegal shorting. And uh, thankfully, there's some new new uh, tactics coming in that area that, uh, I mean, Power Nickel will be, uh, will be doing. And... Um, among others, and uh, we hope to sort of, uh, you know, create a bit of a flashpoint here and, and make some changes. Hmm. So not to steal your thunder for your September 19th there, which I'll have to tune into now, but, I mean, have you, I mean, are you, yeah, you said, you mentioned you're optimistic. Have you seen a difference in the market since that implementation, or is it maybe a little too early? Yes, yeah, too early. You know, I mean, listen, these guys, the, the predatory short guys, the one thing to remember is they're extremely well capitalized. They're generally the smartest guys in the room because they can pay the most. So these guys, you know, they are bullies, and and they uh, this is you know they, you know this is just hot air at this point in time, and they're not scared from hot air. So it's going to take uh, basically pain uh, or government infractions to bring these guys to uh, to reality and to really impact the market. But uh, you know, I recognize that, and 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 many of us in the space do. And our objective now is to okay now that we. IROC has said clearly this is illegal. Investment banks, the onus is on you. Now it's upon the companies to sort of take the carry the ball to the banks and show them hard evidence of their malfeasance or their or not policing the rules, and and to give them an opportunity to clean it up. We don't want to have obviously investment banks are a supply of capital. We we want them to be friendly to us. We want we want friends in the investment banks. Yeah. Clearly, yeah. anybody that would tell you differently that's running a mining company is insane. So uh, we don't want enemies there. We want friends. However, th- they've been allowing the short side of the game to dominate for many years, and that's got to come to stop. We need to get to allow long, uh, you know, players to investors, true investors, the reasons why stock markets were invented, to actually get rewards that they deserve. And mm-hmm. it, it couldn't be a better time because junior mining still, for the most part, is amazingly undervalued and, mm-hmm. and looking like we're coming into a, a great commodity cycle for us. And, you know, uh, as long as, you know, investors are given a fair shake, they could make life, lifetime uh, gains in this next uh, cycle. So um, so maybe maybe now's our chance, you know. So we, we intend to sort of uh, push this initiative hard over the next few months, lobbying with the governments to make sure that they, they do what they promise to do and, and make sure that uh, uh, IROC uh, polices the, the investment banks and, and enforces uh, uh, the rules that are on the books. Yeah, no, and I guess speaking as a private investor, I absolutely appreciate that you've kind of you're carrying this carrying the banner here for this, right? So yeah, it's like I guess an expression of gratitude for doing that for us. Um, I mean, yeah, like laws laws are great, clarification of laws are great, but what's even better is enforcement, right? So I guess we'll see what happens. Yes. Uh, what? Why don't we transition here now to why you're here, Power Nickel? So yeah, why don't we? We'll kind of informally start the interview properly okay. here now for you. Uh, 30-second elevator pitch on Power Nickel. What are you? Who are you? Why are you compelling? And why should investors care? Sure. So Power Nickel is a uh, a junior explorer. We're developing the NISC project in James Bay, Quebec. We just announced uh, recently uh, our first uh, inaugural 43101 compliant resource, about, generally speaking, 4 million tons of uh, 1.25% nickel EQ, about 0.8% nickel or so. And uh, it's got a lot of upside to it. If you look at the deposit, you can see infill drilling will probably add another couple million tons fairly quickly. And it's open uh, at depth uh, in, in both directions uh, and, and extensions from that. So we're, we're going to be starting a drill program next week uh, that will hopefully, uh, we think by the end of this one, well, we're, we're optimistic we can probably get close to doubling that resource. And at that point, uh, you're, you're very close to being commercial. So commercial deposits start at about 8 million tons. Most are at 10 and up. 
generally speaking, this is a uh, ultramafic deposit, sort of like Lynn Lake, which was 22 million tons, or Voices Bay, which is plus 50. We'd expect at the end of the day to be somewhere in between those two in terms of tonnage. So this will make it a very commercial deposit. And yet, if you look at it at a price per uh, nickel uh, pound in the ground, we are the cheapest nickel in the planet. So uh, if you're looking to, if you like nickel as a as a as a as a uh, a uh, commodity, and I, I love it. I think it's one of the best commodities you can possibly be in at this uh, time of the game because of electrification and and just urbanization. Uh, then uh, you know you'd have to say that can't be sustainable. So, and I, I don't think it will be sustainable. I think as people become aware of the uh, NIST deposit and its great potential and what we've already done, uh, there's going to be a manifest change in the stock price, and that's why it's one of the great place to look at and uh, obviously you know within a portfolio approach but uh, obviously i'm long and recommend <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i i absolutely agree macro level view with battery metals copper nickel all the rest base i think that the, in the next two five ten years like you say massive massive commodity cycle coming up the, the like the the greening of our electrical infrastructure and grid is going to require absolutely massive levels of, of of development right so no i think this is as you kind of mentioned at the get-go a very opportune time for people to, to be discovering these kind of plays right tremendous uh, yeah so history power history of power nickel so it's actually a not a spin out, but I mean, you're, you're transitioning from Chilean metals, and it was actually a purchase from Critical Elements, if I'm not mistaken. Do you mm-hmm. mind just clarifying kind of the yeah, history of the yeah. company? Yeah, so, so yeah, it, it, it's actually one of the, the key questions I get when I'm out talking with investors, and I think it's a very pertinent backstory. So it's like we were called uh, Chilean metals. So our, our, we just changed the name to Power Nickel because we thought, hey, to be a nickel company, and uh, be called Chilean metals, just not non congruent, right? So, <laughs> so we love Chile, but we, we thought it would be more appropriate to change the name. So that's why we changed the name to Power Nickel, given the James Bay connotation. So that's the history of the name change. Uh, you know, how we came across this is very instructive uh, because one of the questions that I get most often is that this is a really great looking deposit. How on earth did a small company like you get it? You know, and it's like a fair question because usually if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Too good to be true. So, so mm-hmm. we, we, we respect that because as investors, we're very, um, you know, uh, discerning that way. We, we are. We, we, we know that there's many stories and a few have substance. <laughs> so when, when we looked at uh, actually a shareholder of mine, um, who's one of the prominent uh, investor relations people in the country, uh, Jean-Francois Mueller from uh, Paradox, uh, brought it to me and he said, Terry, uh, do you know about NISC? And I said, Jeff, I have no idea. And he says, he said, NISC is owned by Critical Elements. And he says, you should buy it from them. And because he knew that I had, you know, had uh, helped Critical Elements, you know, in their path and had been an investor and had a good relationship with management. And he says, you know, you, you and JS have a good relationship. You know, he, he loves the project. He wouldn't sell it to just anyone, but he, he said he might sell it to you. So um, I said, okay. I said, well, let me have a look. I looked at the deposit. Looked really good, but I thought wow, it looked too good, you know. So I so I actually phoned Jean-Marc Lacoste from um, Monarch Resources, uh, who actually had made or furthered the discovery, really, and and he's a very successful, uh, you know, entrepreneur in the mining sector. He's had a couple of big wins. So again, obviously, even more dubious is like here's a successful guy who's had a couple of wins, and he let this one go, you know? Why, you know? So so I, I talked to Jean-Marc. I said, Jean-Marc, you know. Uh, first, thanks for taking the call and, 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 and talking to me. Uh, can you tell me, you know, I looked at NISC and it looks really good. Uh, how come you let it go? And, and he said, well, you know what? He said, we loved it too. We thought it was going to become a mine, but not to paraphrase him, but he said, but we, we just, at the time when we made the, you know, sort of the big push was in 2006, markets were rocking, we, we could finance. And then all of a sudden, 2008 came and, you know, we, we had the gold project and we had the nickel project. Nickel had crapped out because the economy had crapped out. Mm-hmm. And he said, we just couldn't finance it. And he said, we had a chance to swap the nickel claims for gold claims surrounding our deposits that eventually became, you know, the project they sold to Yamana. And, uh, you know, with critical elements, and we, 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 it was a productive move for us. So we made the switch to gold and we made the trade. And, you know, I thought the critical would go ahead and run with it. But then, at the, and then, and then what happened was that critical actually was drilling for gold and discovered the, the rose lithium deposit and obviously became the lithium play that it is right mm-hmm. now. I think it's the best, mm-hmm. under, most undervalued lithium play in the planet. So uh, it's, uh, you know, so when, you know, so with that backstory sort of said, okay, it looks like it's it's viable. And we, and we did a further check. We sort of checked. One of the things we did is we looked at the talent metals deposit and we looked at um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, palladium one 
um, you know, their deposit, as, as other nickel deposits that were sort of, you know, like this uh, NISP uh, deposit, and said, okay, let's just sort of see, based on their 43 101s, how much drilling did people do and how much uh, value in the ground using the PEA numbers of thallium metals, just so we use all the same numbers, uh, just to, to determine, hey, what value per meter drilled are they getting? And this is just a, 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 I find for me when I'm looking at mining deals, it's not a bad rule of thumb to sort of get, say, hey, how prospective is the ground we're looking at? Mm-hmm. So I did that math and, and Talon Metals, which is obviously, that's what every junior nickel company in the, this space would want to grow up to be, uh, mm-hmm. is basically about 40 odd thousand, 41,000 or so per meter drilled value in the ground. So uh, I looked at the Palladium one, they were in sort of the 70,000 range and we were at uh 90,000. So, you know, basically, uh, again, it's just it's just a comparable number. It doesn't mean anything in and of itself, but it showed to us this is prospective ground. There's probably something more here. It just needs more drilling. So, you know, based on all that and, and, and just feeling positive about the nickel market overall, we made the, the deal with the critical elements. It made sense for them because they were getting no exposure uh, for the market on it because it hidden in the, you know, I, I was the big investor in critical. I had no idea, you know, that it was there on their site, but I just, it was never anything I focused on. And so now it's, it's out and it's growing. And to the extent that we create value here, we're obviously going to create value for critical. So it was a good move for them. And it was a good move for both sides, which is what you like to see. So we, that's how we acquired it. That's the, the backstory of uh, how we got the deposit. Excellent. I was going to ask this question later on, but I feel like it dovetails nicely into the conversation here. I mean, I, I you know, and I guess preface here in full disclosure, I, I am a shareholder in Power Nickel. Uh, you know, this thus far on my podcast, I'm in, I am only interviewing companies that I have strong conviction in, um, and that's why I, I guess my question is why why the heck are you so undervalued, right? What's what's you know, is it just because you've yet you have you have yet to achieve critical mass, where once you get to that eight million ton mark, yeah, you'll I, see it kind of go off. Or I, what's I, the... I think it's uh, something a bit darker, unfortunately. I mean, basically, the stock started to run with the announcements of the of the press releases of the drilling, which were excellent, right? We had we had great drill results. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mm-hmm. achieved all of our objectives. We hit on seven of eight holes. I mean, I don't know of another drill program that's done that in recent memory. The eighth was a fault line, even that was educational. <laughs> Stock ran to 30 cents, and then it started to get pounded back by huge volume. Like, who is selling this stock at 30 cents? It's had the best results ever. When nickel is rocking. It looks like it's, the you know, certainly with lithium and cobalt, the metals to be in for the next generation. And it's like, <laughs> and somebody's selling large volumes of stocks? Who the hell is doing that? Well, it's not any of our ordinary shareholders. This is the shorts, okay? So they're just basically looking at my balance sheet and saying, you know what? And, you know, they don't even know that's Terry Lynch or Save Canadian Mine. They just look at the balance sheet. This is all the algos do. And they just say, hey, you know, these guys are going to need money, so we're going to short them. And then we're going to cover it down below, and we're going to make this obscene amount of money with no risk, generally. So they pound it back. So they kept on pounding it back. Then they, they sent in the investment bank and said, hey, we've got some money for you. We'll give you some money at 20 cents with a full warrant. And I'm like, guys, I raised money at 25 cents with no warrant, with flow through at 40, when nickel was under five bucks a pound and we hadn't verified the resource. Why on earth would I take your money now? Okay, makes no sense to me. I called my warrants in at 15 cents. We all wrote checks, including myself. My family's put another half a million dollars in the, in the till here in the last 90 days. So at 21 cents, average. <laughs> so clearly we believe. And... You know, they, they uh, and then of course the, the uh, you know, on, on top of their selling pressure, then we have the general market fall off where people are worried about, hey, you know, Russia, it's the end of the world. Uh, and everyone just, the, the you know, went to, you know, cash or just get out of markets. So obviously that, you know, uh, you know, markets are basically driven by the, the last, uh, you know, buy and sell order. So it's like you've got more mm-hmm. selling pressure happening and then drove the stock all the way down. So, you know, I've basically been pretty clear you know, what I've said when people ask us, well, what are you going to do in the financing front? I said, okay, we're going to get, uh, you know, we're going to get drilling. And and then after drilling, if the market doesn't react, uh, if, if it still thinks that we're only worth 10 cents or 12 cents or whatever the hell we're worth today, then, uh, okay, then we obviously need more capital. That's, that's a truism. I, I can't deny that uh, because we need to push this thing forward one more step uh, or two. And, uh, and so what we'll do is we'll do a... A, a rights offering, a backstop rights offering, and uh, and we'll also do a charitable donation 
uh, around that so that the core shareholders of the company, there's, there's three groups that own almost 50% of this company, and uh, myself, uh, the Stern family, and, and Critical Elements, and, and we'll, we'll basically, uh, uh, you know, a group that I, I put together will um, we'll do the charitable side of things so that we, we basically get the rights offering price, but we do it so that the company gets double the cash. We'll have whole stock. We don't care. And, and the company will get cashed up that way. Because mm-hmm. my basic message is if i got to give this thing away, which is what I'm doing right now, I'm going to give it to my guys, the guys that brought me here. Not not some mm-hmm. shorts that are just raping and pillaging. That's just not happening. Mm-hmm. Not on my watch. Mm-hmm. So that's just that's just my you know that's my view on how things should be run. And uh, you know I'm I'm hoping the market wakes up. But if it, it if it does, it may. I at this point I'm sort of resigned to the fact that I won't really wake up until I do this. But when I do this, the market's going to wake up in a ripper because what what's going to happen post deal is all of a sudden we're going to have you know four million dollars or so in cash. We're going to, uh, which is, we, we get, we're, we're financed through this round of drilling, but it would have been like, we'd be at zero. <laughs> so it can't ever get to zero. So we'll actually be financed we'll, and we'll be able to actually extend this round maybe up to 7,000 meters. And then we'll be able to do another 10,000 plus meter program in, in, uh, you know, January, uh, February, March, uh, uh, April of next year. And where that's, where's that going to get us? Well, that's going to get us in my view. And again, you know, I'm I'm not uh, Nostradamus here. I, I you know, I, I I'm a man who believes, and I, I believe that will put us over 10 million tons and make us commercial from a mm-hmm. market standard, and and undeniably commercial. And what a commercial uh, units trade for? Well, they trade you know, uh, metals is about 20 per pound of metal in the ground. Why would we trade for less? I can't imagine why. We're actually in an easier developable area, a shallower pit, much more economic to develop. You know, you know, it's it's got you know. Better gray, but when you break things down in NIEQ per pound, all the great stuff is averaged out. So it's like, anyway, we, 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 we should certainly be towards a dollar a pound, which would be 10 times more than we're at now. Plus, we're going to find maybe two or three times things. So you, you start to put these numbers together and say, wow, this is a crazy deal. And like your question, how could you be so cheap? Well, I don't know, man. I'm pulling my hair out. But, but I, I generally think it's just been the selling pressure and because the market knows we're going to finance so that they just don't know how we're going to finance, even though I've told them they're never going to get any. It's going to be my guys, but they won't, you know, they won't believe you until you do it. So we're going to have to do it here real soon. And, and, and then, mm-hmm. then I think the thing will move. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. No, thank you. I guess just for the listeners out there, you know, when Terry talks about 12 cents a share, 30 cents a share, the current market cap, if I'm not mistaken, of, of Power Nickel, it's not like you guys ran up super hot to $500 million and now you're adjusting back down. You're at $11 million market cap right now with, I mean, this is total napkin math, but 49,000 tons of nickel equivalent in the ground. That's almost $1.5 billion Canadian of nickel, right? So, I mean, there's a, I don't know, there seems to be a discrepancy <laughs> here between share price and reality, right? So Yeah. So uh, why don't we... Run us through your team. Why, you know, why are you the right man for your job, and why don't you just brag about the team that you've developed around you a bit? Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, uh, you know, fronting a mining organization. There's really two key roles in mining: raising money and telling the story. Hmm. And, the, and and okay, and then this, the, then and and that only works if there's actually a story. In order to have a story, you have to have an excellent team of geoscientists that understand what their their business is, and it's the hardest business in the world to find a resource and develop a resource. In my view, I've been investing in a lot of different businesses. Mining's not my first. Uh, and, and I would say <laughs> I've been in it for 10 years, and, and it's it's by far the toughest business I've ever invested in. Uh, that being said, I think now we're, we're at a time in history where mining and commodities, in particular specific commodities, especially the battery metals complex, is going to provide you know unbelievable returns. Like people will wake up five years from now and say, Damn, I wish I'd listened to that podcast, you know, because this thing is going to, I think it's going to be crazy. So, uh, so for us at Power Nickel, basically, I'm the storyteller and the money guy. Okay. I put my own dough in. I've got a a group of high net worth friends and associates that people have trusted me over the years. And then, then we go as, as normal, uh, uh, commercial money companies do. And we go to conferences and we, you know, network with investment bankers and pension funds and mutual funds and, and try and, you know, get them to buy into a story and, and go. So that's that's the money side of the game. So I think you know we're well equipped to raise the money that we need. We w- we will not not make it because of lack of money. Okay, I'm convinced of that. So second part of the question is okay. What about on the science side? So on the science side, 
you know, the you know, when you're a a, a very small microcap miner like Power Nickel, you can't have the top tier talent working with you. You just can't afford them. So you got to rent them. You got to partner with them. Okay, that's just being honest because you just don't have enough money because the dilution be so ridiculous. Nobody would invest in you. So so um, so what we did, you know, we, well, and this is why this uh, this resource was so you know fantastic. Is you know by you know by buying it from Critical Elements, one that we inherited, you know, a, a great partnership with Critical Elements, which is clearly an excellent geoscientific team. They've found rose lithium, and that's, you know, go check that out. It's, it's like, I think it's 1.8 billion, like an 81% IRR, and they're trading at around 300 million. It's, it's a phenomenal project, and it's going to be, you know, one, one of Canada's great mining stories. Well, the team that put that together, these guys are bright guys. They know what they're doing. And so when they, when we ended up making the deal with them, and I said, well, guys, how will we advance it? And they said, look, we've got just the guy. We've got this company called 3DGO, Ken Williamson and, and Matthew Gespress, uh, are really great. They helped us at Critical. They know this area really well. And I, and he said, I, I'm convinced they'll do a great job for us and, and, and we can execute. He said, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get the drillers and organize all that stuff. You know, let's hire these guys. So we, we met with them and talked to them. And sure enough, we, we said, okay, great. And they did an amazing job. These guys are, the one thing I found in mining is, is that, you know, the, the great geological mines are scientific, but they're also artists. They have a feel for the earth some way, somehow that mm-hmm. other guys don't. There's, there, I've met many PhD geos and, you know, and they could talk all, you know, the jargon that would just make my head spin. But then I've met guys that were equally, you know, as, you know, letters behind their names, but they go out in the field and talk Spanish to the Picaneros and learn from them. The guys are actually out there breaking the rock and they would learn, oh, you know, there's a lead up there and go check this. You know, and that's how it's done, you know. So so you gotta be a little bit of you gotta have some Spanglish, you know. And these guys had Spanglish. So they had science, but they had you know, they had intuition as well. And so they uh, you know, we were blessed to, to get them and, and, and they did an amazing job for us and we've done uh, uh, you know, some good interviews with them, you know, that are out there uh, on the in the uh, in the metaverse, um, you know, on the on the technical approach that we're applying and uh, you know, we feel blessed. And again, our job is pretty simple. Our job is to find the resource, and then once we find it, we'll, you know, at, at a sufficient scale, we'll start to de-risk it. But you know, we've already done metallurgy and, and, and uh, historically, and it was fine. But we'll do more advanced metallurgy to prove that even further to de-risk it. And those are the th- key things. So you don't need to be staffed up internally, and and and, and that, you know, until you're ready. Now, as we move forward here, probably this next step, we'll start to add some team members. That can you know be more hands-on and look, right now I'm I'm probably doing you know too much uh, overview of the science side when you know really that's not my expertise I should really have somebody internally that I, that's my guy on that side of things but for now you know because of the relationship of critical elements I feel I'm, we're okay JS is a, a very competent uh, you know sharp uh, great geologist and he sort of overviews the, the technical program for us so so I feel like we're we've gotten tremendous leverage. For our, our team, and uh, and so that's what we've uh, that's what we did at Power Nickel. Perfect. Switching gears here, just trying to cover the basis here, all the different things that maybe people want to know about. Just you know, there are so it's share structure, right? There are good companies that just have lead weights strapped to their ankles because of the overhang, right? Dozens of millions of warrants and options that just you know just destroy any sort of upward momentum. This is something that, again, I think speaks in, in Power Nickel's favor. Can you just run through share structure for us, right? I mean, just kind of give us yeah, what you... Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, I think it's 91, almost 92 million shares outstanding. Um, I think there's about... Uh, I think there's about now about uh, something in the neighborhood of uh, 8 million warrants or so, something like that. Um, and, and generally speaking, there uh, we had called our warrants in, so the, uh, the um, maybe it's even less, maybe it's like four million, and it's at forty cents. So um, you know, so that'll probably come into play this fall, um, and that's about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice tight, right? Yeah, not a lot of overhang. Um, when do, when do those warrants expire, sorry? Uh, twenty twenty three. Okay. Oh yeah. So near-term expiry as well yeah oh good so 
Now, again, just switching gears here, this is maybe a, a bit of a more lengthy conversation. I mean, jurisdiction, right? I mean, this is Quebec is such an obviously pro-mining jurisdiction, and I think, again, this is a, a feather in the cap of power nickel. Uh, can you just run through yeah. who are your neighbors, infrastructure advantages you have, yeah. and just kind of tell us about why where you are is so advantageous? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you're, when you're ticking boxes on mining, I mean, obviously first is is resource and you need both grade and size. We talked about that. And then the next things you, you need to check on is, hey, what's the community uh, response like? Do we have community support? In this case, uh, the Cree uh, Nation is our indigenous partner. Uh, Cree uh, uh, Critical Elements is, uh, you know, who we firmed in on, on this project, they signed a, a full deal with the Cree and they have a great relationship with them. And, and uh, we're looking forward to extending that at Power Nickel. Uh, so we have great support. They've, they've supporting. There's another two, I think it's three mines being developed in the area. So it's not just uh, you know notional support. It's actually demonstrable support. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you know at, to the Quebec government's uh, enormous credit, they have made a fairly progressive decision some time ago to be very proactive in the north with inspiring both uh, you know mineral development up there. And by working with the indigenous communities to uh, educate them as to the benefits of uh, you know mining development for them and for their for their people, and so as a result, you know we've got a very good you know broad community support plus great governmental support to give you a perspective. Uh, the last time we raised money, we raised money at twenty five cents with a flow through at forty, so a sixty percent premium, which is attractive, right? Uh, as a shareholder, that's good because that means less dilution for you as you go forward in financing. Now, I'm looking at deals where I can get, you know, if, if the hard money was at X, I can get 2.05X in flow through, you know, or in, in charitable donations. So yeah. so that that's amazing because that means there'll be less dilution, generally speaking, in Quebec because of its structure versus if you were, you know, drilling for the same thing in Chile or, or, or in the United States or Mexico where they don't have these vintages. So, you know, awesome. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know, so I, I, I really can't say enough about Quebec as a jurisdiction where uh, I've never worked there before. Uh, you know, obviously it, we, we, we have local uh, geos and local, uh, you know, people that are very fluent in, in, in French. My French is reasonable but not fantastic but you know we, we don't find the language as a as a problem it's, a, it's it's no different than working in spanish in chile so uh, uh yeah i got nothing but good things to say about working in quebec i mean you are up near james bay that is a remote part of canada but you are not isolated right this is not you know the middle of the yeah or something, yeah right? second, second part of your question i didn't touch on that so let, let's go back so right across the highway from us we're, we're off the highway which is phenomenal and where's this highway going well the highway is going to a major hydro quebec substation which is our immediate neighbor so it's like wow that's great because you know you know they're keeping those roads open (laughs) so uh and the neat thing is obviously hydropower is the best power for for mining because it's green and it's uh cost controlled and and most economic quebec's hydropower is legendary the world over for being efficient and and cost effective so so in terms of, of, you know, the ESG side of things of, 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 of when we, you know, when we build this mine and, and we won't build it, but our, whoever buys it from us will build, they'll be building probably the greenest carbon, uh, you know, uh, nickel mine in, in the planet because we'll be able to tap into uh, the hydro Quebec and, and it'll just all be hydropowered, which would be awesome. And uh, and then you know the we're we're just uh, a few miles away from an airport. There's a there's towns nearby to supply labor. Uh, you know the railway's not that far away. The port in Montreal is you know so so infrastructure wise, again you check the box and say wow. I mean I I'm, I'm, I'm used to you know uh, we we had a, a project up in the high Andes in and that we sold to Tech uh, some years back and uh, getting there was like you know took you two days to get there. Oh, and then you had to stay at four thousand meters. It would it was costing four hundred dollars a meter to drill there. I mean, it was insane, you know. And, and development, wow, forget it, you know. So so this is, you know, the the, the neat part about this project is it. This will probably cost two hundred to two hundred fifty million to develop. Okay, and 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 you just it'd say, hey Terry, did you just pull that out of your butt, or where'd you get that? Well, I, I basically looked at Telemetals PEA, and that's that's a the number they got. Okay, I, I believe it would be very similar. 
and, and possibly less because it's a shallower deposit closer to, to roads and hydro, et cetera, that it may be less, but let's just call it somewhere in that range. Well, that that's very economic because you'll end up, it from a financing perspective, probably putting 25% of that up in equity, so call it $60 million. $60 million, you know, when you're at three or 400 or a billion dollars, which is what you should be at some point soon, not a big number relative to to two things. So so and and those those projects will return a tremendous IRR. You know, so uh, this thing is going to get built. And and uh, the 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 one thing we, we we haven't talked about, I'm sure we will, is North American nickel and why that's important now. But mm-hmm. so I there's a couple of trains here that are leaving the station in terms of where I want to go with questions. But maybe I will uh, start with. You, you mentioned there, right, so I mean, the path to shareholder value, right? So you can develop yourself, you can sell it, or even toll milling, right? You just stated fairly unequivocally that, you know, you are not going to be the ones that are developing this. Can you just explain your thought process there? I mean, what? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, we think we, we can very efficiently uh, move this thing through to uh, PEA and PFS, uh, pre-feasibility pre- 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 study. And probably at that stage, somewhere between PEA, uh, preliminary economic assessment for the jargon people, uh, and PFS, will end up selling. And why would we sell them? Well, generally speaking, we're not equipped to build. This is not our skill set, and and uh, and you know others, uh, you know, that is their skill set. That is what they do well, and they'll get paid. They'll get uh, paid for doing it, uh, whereas we wouldn't. We would be. They see us as rookies, potentially uh, making fatal rookie mistakes, <laughs> and and get and punish us. So I think the, the the simple math is is that we will sell it. Now, who will we sell it to? Well, there's going to be uh, a lot of potential buyers, okay, and they're already calling, you know. And and I think what this is where the shorts haven't figured out yet because they're just you know looking at their algorithms and thinking, oh wow, rubbing their hands in glee, thinking we're about to harvest this guy. And what they haven't figured out is that, you know what, industry is desperate for North American nickel. And and we've got, you know, major uh, nickel consumers the world over calling saying, hey, uh, you know, would you consider, you know, selling a piece of the mine, you know, and, and that that's just going to build. And we've got ma- major nickel producers that we're talking with the, you know, the Glencores, Rio Tintos, Wailers of the world that are saying, hey, you know, you know, we're, we're interested in learning more about your deposit and let's 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 have a dialogue. I mean, in North American nickel, if you don't have it as a battery maker, you're you're not going to be able to sell your batteries to the car companies because car companies need battery batteries content that's got like 90 percent uh, North American content. And if you don't have North American nickel, you're not getting there. So, so it's 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 like there's there's going to be in my mind in the future not just a nickel price. There's going to be a North American nickel price that's going to get a premium, and and I think when we sell this thing at some point when we've actually and when will we sell it, Terry? We're going to sell it when we've found all the resource we think is there, and we've eliminated the nominal risk, you know, just to prove the metallurgy and the environmental stuff that that you know to de-risk it as much as we can. You know, we'll take it through maybe the PFS, and at that point. Then, then, then we're going to, you know, have an auction and conduct it, and uh, we'll sell it, and uh, our shareholders will, uh, I think, do very, very well. Mm-hmm. So I, I do want to return to North American nickel and why that is, like you say, kind of a separate bull thesis for nickel itself. Also, laterites versus sulfides too, which is again a, a feather in your cap. But can you just? Uh, I don't. I'm not. Maybe I've missed it. Uh, but do you have a timeline for when? Uh, power nickel will be at PEA stage. When when does that happen? Yeah, yeah, we're 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 now sort of been talking about that. We're thinking basically H two of uh, twenty twenty three for PEA, and then uh, PFS is maybe a year after that. Okay, perfect. Because that's when you know that's when the bean counters come can come out and really start to understand NPV and such, right? So that's, yep. I always find that those are massively beneficial to helping to understand the economics, even if they are napkin math and yeah some ways right yeah. so so no, well, i mean you, you did touch on this so why don't I, I mean, i'll let you go off on this a little bit right why don't you i mean tell us why north american nickel in particular is such a valuable thing versus 
you know, yeah. Russian nickel even, right? And then, yeah, go through, and I'm assuming most people listening to this will know this, but go through the laterites versus sulfides as well, if you don't mind. Okay, sure. So so North American nickel, uh, you know, so why is that a hot topic these days? Well, because of the tax act that the U.S. government just passed that basically does a couple of things. It recognizes Canadian as domestic, i.e. as just like American uh, nickel. And, and they develop these, what they call, I would say, content laws, or, um, you know, percentage made in North America, uh, you know, um, laws or, or, or uh, statistical evaluations. And what they've said is if you want to get uh, the full tax credits that's going to be available for uh, electric vehicle sales in the U.S., uh, then, you know, over a certain range of time, it, it very quickly gets to 90%. So 90% of the vehicle has to be made in North America. Uh, or you don't get full tax credit, and therefore you, you won't be able to get that incentive, which will be obviously key for moving the. the if you're if you're a consumer and you're looking at buying, and you're like two you know relatively similar vehicles, one comes with a full tax credit and the other one doesn't. Well, you're going to buy the one with the full tax credit. So, so you can see from a manufacturing perspective why it's going to be critical for them to be able to deliver the full tax credit. Because and if they don't, they're going to be at a competitive disadvantage. So uh, if if you Work backwards from that math, you can't possibly get there by putting, uh, you know, class one nickel from uh, Russia. Even if, if you could buy it, which you can't, but if, if you could, you 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 can't uh, you can't get there uh, because it's not North American. And I I wonder if if the, you know, I don't think people have figured that out yet. You know, but it, and and what does that mean? Well, you can see when the German Chancellor comes over and and meets. Uh, uh, you know, with Prime Minister Trudeau, and they talk about, you know, uh, working and cooperating with Germany on investing in Canadian mining. And this is what it's all about. It's because German battery manufacturers are going to have to locate here, buy Canadian materials to be competitive, or they're going to lose a big chunk of business in the automotive sector. And, uh, you know, it's it's why the Koreans are doing the same thing. So, so, so you know, that's why, you know, I think that the shorts have made a fundamental mistake you know, and, and shorting the battery metals complex in general and, and power nickel in particular, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to be able to get our money. You know, this round we're going to do from our shareholders because it's so cheap. But the next round will probably be become from a partner, you know, that that'll, that will pay us a fair economic price, which wouldn't be related mm -hmm. to the market. It'll be related mm -hmm. to how valuable it is to them. And it'll be us, you know, treating one of these guys off, of, you know, 10 or 20, you know, buyers. So we're going to get a, a fair economic price, and that will be the money to move forward. So it's like, you know, the whole math in these things is, is like the, the old days of, of them being in control of the purse strings is, is over. And, and, uh, and you know, it, it, it basically uh, is a, you know, a different, uh, you know, set of circumstances, right? So, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think North American nickel is, uh, is going to be super rare. Um, I mean, there, there's not – and you say, okay – what can get to, to production? So the sulfide mines bring, brings us into the laterites and sulfides. So high-grade sulfide mine like ours, if all things were a go, probably, you know, four years, you could get in production, okay? And that and that's historically fast, super fast for mining. For uh, some of the lower-grade, uh, you know, uh, high-volume um, high high tonnage uh, deposits like you know Canada nickel, Giga metals, these types of deposits. Uh, you know that th these projects are you know uh, a billion, a billion and a half to bring to project. So that's a that's a bigger number. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's it, the, the IRRs are, are much lower, and and so and and they'll pay back over a period of time. But that would take, I'm guessing, you know, seven eight years to bring to. The market, you know, just because of the complexities of building these mines, financing, whatever. So, so yeah, I think some of them will be financed in this cycle, but you know, not a lot. And and then it, and and these like this nickel deposit we've got, um, you know, it's just going to be a fraction of what's needed. There's no way that we can hit the targets that have been set for the vehicle sales. Uh, it's just not possible for uh, us to find enough nickel and get it into production quick enough. So if you got one, well, you're going to get paid. So mm -hmm. now on yeah. the laterites and, and, and sulfites, well, basically the, the, the laterite deposits have 
you know, generally they're, I would say, for the most part in Southeast Asia, you know, Indonesia, the Philippines. Um, and and uh, with the current technology they've got, they tend to be highly energy intensive to develop. They, they tend to wreak a lot of havoc uh, locally with their environment. And uh, if we're trying to wrap ourselves up in the ESG flag, I'm not sure it gets there. Now, there's some new, obviously, the, 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 you know, there's new uh, technologies and new approaches. And there's probably, you know, I suspect there'll be some developments down the road that will make these laterites uh, more attractive and less less of an environmental burden. But, you know, uh, right now, that's the big thing. It's sort of, uh, it, it, they're, they're quite, uh, you know, uh, I would say they, 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 they would, you know, the, the green that would be benefited from putting the nickels in the batteries and having less fossil fuels burned would be lost by the, the green yeah. that gets destroyed and making them. So so there's that whole uh, argument. And so I, I know that the car companies I haven't talked to them uh, are very sensitive to that because they don't want to be, you know, the guy saying, well, you're it's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, the blood diamond thing. Well, it'll be, they'll yeah. be, they'll be, it will be the blood nickel, you know, and yeah. you, they don't want that. That would not be good for car sales. <laughs> no, certainly. No, excellent. And I, I mean, this is me just kind of chiming in here on something you mentioned a minute or two ago. And for my listeners that are repeat listeners, this is something that I've said before. But I mean, just again, macro tailwinds, I think that we're seeing like uh, globalization in terms of trade networks is starting to fray and we're starting to shrink down into, if not resource nationalism, re- resource regionalism, right? Whereas you and your allies are, are and so from that perspective, nickel is a critical metal in Canada. It's a critical metal in Europe, critical metal in, in America. And so, we, as you say, we, it's no longer a point of outsourcing or, or finding the cheapest metal globally. It's developing your own resources because it's such a critically advantageous part of your economy, right? So, yeah. again, just a, just another one of many sort of tailwinds for this sector, right? So, yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, just so transitioning here, just... 2022 exploration drilling campaign. Just briefly, can you run through uh, where we've where you've been and where you're going? I guess. If you okay. Don't mind. Yeah. So basically, you know, we, we we completed our 2021 campaign in like mid uh, December last year, I guess. Uh, got the results out in March, uh, so that's a likely time lag. Basically, you know, probably ten weeks or so. Um, so and and then you know we we took you know obviously the time to put together the 43101 and. Uh, and then we did some advanced modeling as to where we, we think the deposit's going. So where we're at is we'll start actually, you know, we, 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 we you know, we, we sort of got delayed by, you know, a couple of things, but now we're, 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 we're rolling, uh, they're up there actually, you know, sort of, uh, getting the camp ready and we'll start either on the weekend or Monday. So we'll, we'll, nice. we'll update the, we'll put a press release out to that respect that, you know, we've already told them that was coming, so it's not really rocket news, but we'll get it out nonetheless. That day. <laughs> the bits have been turning. And our plan will be to keep drilling uh, through probably mid-December. And basically what we're going to try and do in this round is, you know, the 43101 we put out, basically, there, if you looked at it, you can see there's sort of some white space in the middle there of the mm-hmm. deposit that, mm-hmm. why is it white space? Well, it's simply because we didn't drill it. We got, you know, little, little, little islands in the middle of the white space. And either side of the white space is nickel, so it's like highly likely that there's nickel between there. So, but nonetheless, we have to drill it, so we will, and and so that'll that'll be those easy, you know, uh, you know, uh, resource tons that we'll look to add on as as easy as anything is in money. And then, th- what's really exciting for us is, you know, we've got this theory. We basically the way we model the deposit on what we call NISC mean is it's an open pit at the top and then two declines. And the declines, the way to sort of think of this deposit is it's a, it's a river of nickel. So it's like the Mississippi River in that, you know, there's very narrow sections, very shallow, and there's wide sections, and there's deep sections. And so, so, so what we're trying to do is find this river of nickel <clears throat> as it's rolling through our, our, our land, and, and basically that's what we're doing. So right now, the, the best uh, intercepts that we have had as a company – we're at depth uh, and along strikes. So we, we were getting, you know, two and a half, three percent nickel EQ intercepts of, you know, 15, 20 meters. So that's exciting for us. That, that adds tonnage on in a hurry in this space. So what we're going to be doing there is we're going to be stepping out every 50 meters uh, from those holes in a, in a few directions. 
uh, because you, you you know we have a theory of where the river's going, but rivers are winding, <laughs> you know. So they take bends and you know they they shimmy around. So so we're going to be you know testing that uh, that out, and then we're going to keep on drilling there until eventually we know there's going to be a fault. Okay, and so what happens at the faults? Well, at the faults, basically you have a shear zone and 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 the deposit, you know it disappears it either it maybe reappears on the other side of the fault down it may appear up you know so what what happens is once we come to the fault we'll step across and go another 50 meters and we'll drill down to depth and maybe even another 100 meters until we find the zone again and the great thing about nickel and i never knew this until we started drilling for nickel because i've never explored for nickel before uh is that man you get to visually see this stuff it's it this uh, <clears throat> peridotite rock the black rock is it, it it it's very visible so you know when you're in the zone it's it's like i, I don't know you know gold and copper yeah you can see the calcopyrite and you see that but you never really know i mean you can see it but you have no real few i've seen some great looking visual rock that had almost no grade <laughs> you know so uh, but in this stuff you know we know what we're looking for and and uh we can xrf it we can sort of be confident that we're in the grade and so that's exciting so we'll keep on stepping out and and our feeling is and this is an important uh, when I'm trying to, you know, you know, convince people of the excitement we have for the project, one of the things I try and you know, remind them of is that historically, every single nickel sulfide mine in the world is comprised of multiple deposits. They call them pods, mm -hmm. strings of pearls, whatever. So here we are on this one deposit, NISC main, okay? It looks to me like we can get to 8 to 10 million tons on this one deposit. That's phenomenal because that's almost enough to make us commercial right now. I would say today in mm. this market, that's commercial. But this is just the first one. It's highly likely, unless we're like a total anomaly, the first in the history of the world that that's, has only one deposit, we're going to have multiple deposits, okay? And it's like I, I'm talking to our, our, our main geological advisor, and he, he's posing me this question. He says, he says, what are your chances that this is your best deposit? And I said, I, I don't know. He said, well, I'll tell you, it's a simple. There's probably going to be three or four of these things, and your odds are three or four to one. This is the best. <laughs> he said, that's just how the math's going to work. So he said, like, this could be the one, but it could also be a better one next door. So he said, <laughs> his feeling is that we know this deposit is beneath the faults. We're going to keep on drilling through that until we maximize it. Okay. And then he says, we're going to step on the other side of these faults and hope that the next one's over there. And, you know, that's, that's, we won't really, so what we're going to do from an exploration, this program is we're going to drill uh, underneath our faults, maximize this, this pod, infill drill, and then we're going to take a couple shots on either side. Okay. That's probably the extent of what we can do in this round with the, this amount of meterage of drilling. And then, you know, that will allow us to, you know, I say, I'm sure it'll, it'll get us in the seven, eight million ton range would be my guess, maybe more. Uh, and then, and at that point, yeah, we think given that we got cash in the till for the next round, the market's going to realize, holy crap, this is a commercial deal and there's going to be a revaluation and we'll probably end up doing a deal with a industry partner and fill up the till even more. And then we're going to go really exploring because we've got geophysically, uh, three other pods, uh, three other, uh, let's not call them pods, three other, uh, uh geophysical anomalies. That look very similar to NISC, Maine, and and they've had you know little or no drilling on. So we're going to start to tap in there, and hopefully we've got this whole nickel belt that we can you know turn into you know what what uh, Talon Metals has done, and what Voices Bay has done, and what Lynn Lake has done. I mean, there's no reason why we we can't do that, and we fully expect to do that, and that's what's exciting. So so when when people you know when I say to people, I was at a Swiss Mining Institute. And I was saying, making the case that, and I, and I said, I said, preface this, and I said, guys, it's rare in life you can get a hundred extra, okay? And before you think I have like, you know, aluminum foil on my head, I said, let me walk you through the map on this, practically speaking. I said, hey, we're getting one tenth, one eleventh of what we should be getting for nickel. We've already discovered pound the ground. Already good. Over time, that will normalize. We'll get our fair price. Okay, there's 10. Okay, now we're, at that time we were at three million tons. And I said, hey, can we get to 20 million tons? 100%. Can we get to 50? That's going to take a lot more luck and, and drill bit, you know, uh, success, but certainly not impossible. Somewhere between 7 and 17 times, all of a sudden, well, you multiply an average number in there by 10, and there you get mm -hmm. your 100. So I'm saying, like, I'm not guaranteeing you're going to make 100x here, but isn't it great to be able to get in a deal? I mean, they're giving it away. <laughs> Down here, there's very little downside, and it's got 
for sure be a big number upside and possibly uh, a life-altering number upside. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want to do. You want to get yourself into those situations where, hey, you can get lucky. And, and, of course, we need to get more luck in the drill bit. And that's what, you know, we pray every day for the gods of the drill to deliver the goods. But we, we, we think there's a, a mine here now that's going to be, you know, a nice little mine. And we think there's a very realistic chance it could be a great mine. And if it mm-hmm. is a great mine, well, you know, you know, kitty bar the door, as they say. Yeah, off to the races, eh? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, you, you say it well that, you know, that, that, it's so important when you have a geophysical model that you prove it up with the drill, right? And then as you do that, you develop this valid, predictable exploration thesis, right? Yep. And that's when you really are de-risked. And so, yeah, you talk about the, mag- the magnetic anomaly, which is on your in your slide deck. I mean, yeah, at, the more and more you prove NISC main, the more and more de-risked your wildcat targets are, your NISC west targets are, right? Yep. Because, yeah, it's the same anomaly, right? So, no, I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, nothing certain until you poke holes in it, right? But, yep. no, I, I, yeah, I like it. I agree. Yeah. Uh, do you mind just running through? So phase two is coming up right away, 5,000 meters, 7,000 meters, and then based on that as a phase three, can you just kind of yeah, yeah, so, step so, by step? Yeah, there? so phase three, basically, the idea would be uh, as soon as we, um, you know, get some education on, on phase one, like obviously if we, the best case scenario on phase three is we cross the fault and hit the uh, peridotite on the other side, in which case we just, have massive programs on either sides of those faults and and keep on drilling so that that's that uh i, I would expect in phase three we'll certainly start to take some pokes at uh, at our wildcats uh east and west this this west for sure and uh, and and uh and start to get some uh you know we'll probably do you know i don't know a thousand meters worth of drilling in each of those just to sort of uh you know uh, get a sense of of what might be there and and then then you know uh the so that would, you know, our, our thinking would be sort of 10, 15,000 meters, sort of uh, that would be the next spring session. And then we would basically, you know, consolidate that information. And then we'd get back in there in um, in August of, of the of the following year and look to drill another fifteen or 20,000 meters. So, I mean, do we don't have money up for all that today? But I, I, I as I said, we will not run out of money. We, as long as the ore is there, the money is going to mm-hmm. be plentiful to drill this up, baby up. And we will do that. So uh, this, the drill bits are, are turning now. And other than, you know, consolidating the information and, and making good targeted decisions, which we do every, you know, a, a sort of 60 days to sort of pull that together and are doing ongoing as we're developing it, uh, you know, we'll be drilling pretty much around the clock until we maximize this uh, resource. So, Excellent. So just going to run through catalysts that I know of in the next six to six months, two years. You have phase two, 5,000 meters. Phase three, 10 to 15,000 meters. You have a PEA by the end of 2023, PFS by the end of 2024. That's a pretty, I mean, of course, with, and there's going to be phase four drilling in there somewhere, I'm sure, yeah. right? Am I missing anything? That's a pretty action packed couple of years. Anything else? No, I think that's that's it. The other the other thing that uh, is like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other the other point that, that, that and, and I say to those people, don't, don't invest in power nickel unless you love the nickel deal, because it's all about the nickel. That being said, our uh, our gold and copper projects are no joke, and and we're going to create some value for those. We're, 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 we 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 said last year we would spin them out, and then the economic conditions just turned so negative it made no sense mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, but we will uh, spin them out this year, or we will do an M and A transaction that will be accretive to our shareholders because these are. I mean, we were we're trading at these levels uh, for our our, our, our copper. Uh, uh, gold assets, and we felt we were undervalued there. So that's going to become a bonus for our shareholders. So again, not a uh, not a reason to invest, in my view. Uh, you got to buy the primary thesis that the nickel is is the uh, you know uh, fantastic opportunity. But it'll be a nice bonus for us, and 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 so we, we intend to. Uh, that'll be uh, something we do that we we know from talking with our accountants that spin outs are best happening after year end. Uh, just so that the cannot, it just costs way less to do it from a, a auditing perspective and whatnot. So most likely that would happen in in Q two of next year. So if we don't do M and A transactions in the in the interim, that create value for us. So so that that'll be another uh, you know uh, positive uh, surprise or uh, development for us as shareholders. Perfect. Couple of questions left here for you. Kind of boilerplate things here, but. Uh, 
in your to in your view, and maybe I can already anticipate where you're going to answer this, but what's the biggest risk facing power nickel from here for it to be a profitable success for shareholders? And then how do you plan to mitigate that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, you know, obviously it, the biggest risk is money. But I, again, we're, we're planning to deal with that by putting the money in ourselves and, you know, with, you know, the guys that have brought us here. So I think that'll be fairly de-risk shortly. And then once you have the money, the, the biggest risk, you know, would be somehow the deposit craps out and, and that the, the first step out that you do hits uh, mud, you know, it just all of a sudden just disappears. So, you know, that, that you know, that can happen. You know, I'm not saying, you know, it, it, it's highly unlikely that it would happen this way. That, and even so, we'd, we'd, we'd certainly have our infill stuff, you know, and I, I think what, you know, uh, a number I'll throw at you is that, you know, we use the PEA numbers from Talon to use our, uh, develop our 4101. If we use the numbers that recent nickel PEAs have been done, we'd already be at five million tons. Okay. Not to do a thing. So, uh, so uh, e- even if this deposit got nothing more on the flanks, which is, that's where we had our highest, uh, most, our best intercepts, hard to imagine that we wouldn't get some additional tonnage over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still going to grow the deposit this round. But, uh, but that's always, you know, the, 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 the uh, you're, you're still, uh, I would say the single biggest risk is, is always until the deposit is proven up. You still have to do that, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we feel confident that that's there, and logically speaking, should be there. But you know, um, you, you still have to do it. So uh, those would be the risks. I'm not worried about the the money. We'll we'll get the money, and and uh, I'm not worried about permit risk, or I'm not worried about community risk or political risk. Uh, you know, we're we're in a uh, you know phenomenal spot to do that. So generally speaking, you know, I, I think uh, as mining projects go, this is about as as the risk a junior exploration play as you can find and certainly uh, per unit of risk it's the it's the cheapest in the ground for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. excellent and then i mean you've kind of already anticipated this one if, if, if that answer but uh, again boilerplate question here why why is power nickel worthy of my hard-earned money right i work hard for my money and i'm going to put it with you guys why you why not you know the guy down the street yeah well a couple things one i don't think anyone should bet all their money on one deal that's just a mm-hmm. bad process because there could be a black swan event for anyone you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and uh you know I, I mean we put a big chunk of you know our family money in this deal but we're in other investments as well and it's prudent mm-hmm. to do that uh but in terms of having us as part of your portfolio I would say if you believe in nickel and in electrification and urbanization, which are two unstoppable forces that it doesn't really matter, the world is determined they're going to get into less fossil fuels over the course of time, and that the world is getting more urban. And, you know, you say, why is urbanization important? Well, the biggest driver of nickel is stainless steel. Stainless steel is fridges and stoves, pots and pans. So as people get more urbanized, they, they live in houses, they, they have fridges and stoves, they have pots and pans, and they consume more uh, stainless steel and that's that's what drives the core part of the nickel market electrification obviously is that freight train that that uh, you know people are, are you know because of the whole environmental greening initiative that they've, 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 they've come uh, you know categorically across the planet to support that that's not changing anytime soon so so those two broad initiatives are going to drive things and uh, uh, if you believe in that then it's like within that space, where are the good sort of, uh, you know, how should I you know, decide? Political risk is a big reality. You know, when you're investing in mining companies, where are they operating? You know, there's there's not a lot of safe spots. I mean, even look at us. We One of the reasons why I bought NISC was I felt Chile was getting a lot riskier. And so we diversified, got back in to Canada because, you know, and the jury's still out. Like in Chile, they, refu- you know, they refuted the... Uh, uh, the uh, um, const- the new constitution, which constitution, is quite radical, yeah. uh, you know, and, and hopefully things will work out down there, but it's certainly a more risky place it was in five years ago, uh, pretty much across the board, you know, so political risk is a problem. So, we're, we're, you know, you know, so when you look within in that context and you say, okay, then I want the, the make the investment where the risk return reward is best. There's two parts of that equation, risk, i.e., you know, what could happen to me on the downside and reward what could happen to me on the upside. you got to look at both. And I would argue that on a risk-return basis, in nickel, in junior nickel, in, in jurisdictions that are safe to invest in, 
we're hands down the best deal on the planet. And we're happy to go head to head with anybody on that basis and have that discussion. So on that basis, I think uh, we deserve a portion of your hard-earned investment dollar and, and we'll do the best we can with it. Perfect. Uh, thank you. I mean, final word to you, Terry. Final thoughts? I, you know what? I mean, I, I think generally, uh, you know, you know, they 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 uh, they say uh, when there's blood in the streets, that's when you make the most money. There's mm-hmm. been blood in the streets of mining for a long time, and the, <laughs> the latest uh, round of fear mongering and <laughs> market freakouts uh, caused by the Russian thing and COVID and just all the the dark news we see we receive daily is enough to depress anyone. But that being said, I am 100% convicted that I don't know if it's going to happen this next quarter, but it's happening. You know, the, the, the commodity uh, boom is is coming, and and in particular in the battery metals uh, space. And you, know, if folks are not into that space with a serious chunk of their money, I'm talking 20% to 50%. That's where I'm at. Uh, I, I think you're making a make mistake. This is going to be. <laughs> outperform all other sectors for the next while and it will provide some amazing returns and i'm saying to folks if not power nickel find some other deals you believe in in that space and you're going to do well and uh, that's that's uh, and listen to podcasts like this which will ask hard questions of management teams and give you education and then do your own due diligence and, and invest wisely Excellent. Well, thank you, Terry. Appreciate the time you take here. Appreciate the yeah, very articulate, interesting conversation. Uh, thanks for tuning in, those of you who are listening. If you want more information on Power Nickel, head over to powernickel.com. It's a pretty strong website, lots of information. As for me, you can find me under the name Junior Resource Investing on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, other your favorite podcast hosting mechanism. Um, yeah, thank you, Terry. Great. Take care. Cheers. Yeah, perfect. Have a good day.